Hi, I'm Karina. I'm the Music Ministry Director at Every Nation Auckland City. We are a multicultural, multi-generational, socially responsible church that makes disciples. We hope this message inspires you to honour God and make disciples. I want to open up with a little story. Who likes stories? True story, real life story. Back in April 2010, we had right there the worst oil spillage in U.S. history. You might recall these images as they come up on the screen. It was the BP drilling platform exploded. It exploded off the coast of Louisiana and about 200 million gallons of crude oil vomited into the, into the ocean. It was called an oil volcano mostly, of course, right deep down in the earth, and it gushed up all these, this crude oil for 87 days straight. Can you imagine? It was an environmental catastrophe, an ecological disaster. It cost billions. It was like one person described it as a river of death, and they tried failure after failure, trying to cap what they called cap, the explosion capped the, the situation there. And you can see these images here of oil-drenched wildlife. There's really quite drastic images of you just Google seeing just schools of dead fish and birds that were just beyond repair, many of them. There's this one example there. And of course, the first and only rational response was to try and stop the flow of the oil at its source, Right? Wouldn't it be a futile effort if we tried to clean up all the mess without going back to the source? The ongoing cause of the problem. And I think this is a brilliant metaphor for family relationships. The cause of so much devastation in nuclear families is because the biblical blueprint, blueprint sorry, for marriage and family is largely ignored in the church and certainly in the world. And so we're doing this series called Nuclear. It's nothing to do with the nuclear bomb, although I think you'll find there is a common thing about the very core of the bomb, the nuclear family. We talk a lot about spiritual family around here, and that's powerful, and that's necessary, and certainly, but I have not. I feel like a pastor who needs to apologize again. We've not sat here on a Sunday morning or stood and taught on what the Bible says about these vital roles. We do in our leadership development, but on a Sunday morning, you would think, Every year or two, we should go back to what the blueprint says. Can someone say amen to that? It's true. Last week, we started with biblical marriage. Thank you, Pastor Wee Yong, particularly on the difficult day it was. And might I add on the way through, just to continue to keep the EU, the Ting family, in your prayers uh, as they grieve and mourn the loss of their mum. We had the funeral yesterday. While we're talking about biblical marriage, let's define biblical marriage. It seems kind of crazy after 2,000 years to have to redefine something that in these days is considered controversial. I'm really glad that every nation globally recently have put out statements regarding gender, marriage, and a host of other, or a handful, I should say, of other areas of, of statements that we as a movement believe. And 
Certainly, I affirm this completely. If we put that up, every nation's theological statement on controversial topics. This should not be controversial, but apparently it is. Marriage is the exclusive union of one man and one woman, and sexual activity should occur within that union. If you have a different view on that, man, I so welcome a latte and a conversation. I'd love to hear your views on that. I think any one of us would. Maybe we've got it wrong, but from what we can see in the Scripture, that's what is taught. And uh, as I say, if you think different, no problem, let's have a chat. Amen? Good. So I want to acknowledge, as Pastor Weeyong did last week, I want to acknowledge that there are many influences that shape our understanding of, of marriage. And I'm just camping out with, in marriage for a little bit. Of course, media is huge. Media, the amount of media we watch, shapes our view of marriage. Usually, might I add, portraying the male as the dumb, irresponsible person and the woman being the sensible person. Even in children's comedy, as a matter of fact, from when I remember my kids were young. So media has a massive influence over culture. They don't just reflect what we are. I think they also drive, in many respects, um, what we think. But also culture itself, not just media. Generally, culture itself. I mean, even saying a statement like that in public could be seen as something else. Our personal experiences. Your ethnic culture. Your mum and dad. Your experience. I... I I had a very poor example. With all due respect, I saw what not to do with my own natural father who left me at five. Or left our home at five, left my mother at five. We have all kinds of examples in our life, good, bad, and... So what Christians need to do is look at life through, or look at culture, look at our examples, look at life through the lens of Scripture. You never look at Scripture through the lens of your life. Now that's good teaching right there. You do that, and it will save us all a lot of pain. So it's time to venture into the tricky waters of one of those parts of marriage, and that is biblical husband. And I'm going to have to stand by finding this chair is way too confining. I kind of had it there because I didn't want to get too demonstrative. But I want to be free. Why teach biblical husband on a Sunday morning? Like, look around, man. We're not all husbands in the room. The youth, by the way, they're upstairs. Not because of the subject matter, just happened to be that once a month. I so kind of wanted them to be here so they could have a vision of what a biblical husband looks like. If you're a single man here today, I'm glad you're here. You need to be here because I want to give you a vision. And I want you, in typical manly style, have a few goals. All this ethereal, conceptual, kind of fairly touchy stuff, it sometimes doesn't work with us wonderful human men. We need some handles, and hopefully I'm going to give those to you today. To the single woman, any single woman in the house? Yep. 
Which, and I want to say this, and it needs to be said, it, it begs to be said, not every single woman and not every single man wants to be married. And that's okay. It's more than okay. It's totally cool. You're not incomplete. You and Jesus are complete. Can someone say amen to that? Right, so I'm not assuming that every unmarried person wants to be. And that's maybe one of the reasons I've not talked about it. But we are talking about it today. So just hear it once from me, single people. If you don't want to get married... Totally cool. Praise God. I'm glad you know what you want. Sometimes marriage, when you certainly don't want to be married, is a pain in the butt. <laughs> a lot of complications. All right, let's get into it. But single women that want to be married, I want to give you an evaluation tool. I want to give you something to help you measure that guy. Because I don't care how blue his eyes are, or how swaggy he is, how romantic he is, all right? Girls, it's all a bluff. Okay, when you get behind all that, what us men want is pretty basic. <laughs> and I'm not going to go there today. We're pretty simple at times and a little bit shallow. Seriously, girls, I want to give you something to measure. I mean, for goodness sakes, you go to apply for a job, you go to apply for a passport, you go to apply for a thousand things in your life and you're expected to qualify. What are your credentials? When it comes to marriage, however, it's all this feely, touchy emotion. I mean, he's so fine. Girls, don't be fooled. I'm talking to you as a surrogate father. You want to listen up to this. Now, no guy's perfect, but this will give you something to aim for. True. <laughs> Funny story, not on my notes, but I'm going to say it. I actually did this with my wife, Chrissy, who's out there somewhere looking after her grandson, I think. Maybe they're up Karaka Street somewhere, I'm not sure. True story, you can ask her. When I learned that she had an a romantic interest in me, do you know what I did? I didn't go, the man. I didn't do that. I gave her the cold shoulder for a week or more. I ignored her. I did. To see what was inside her. True story. It's good to have evaluations. It's good. Now, before we get into this, and I do need to get into it, because time is ticking, for goodness sake, Richard. Move along. Thank you. I will. If you're a divorced man here today, no condemnation, none at all. But I need to talk to everybody else. And if you have a desire to be married, this is good for you too, sir. But three things we need to bear in mind right here, right now. This is not a beat-up session for guys. And all the men went, yeah. It really is not. It's not a beat-up session. Um, no husband is perfect. Let me repeat it. Let me, this, you can see there's so much, op, yeah, so much opportunity here to have some fun. Maybe I should grab that chair. Okay. But no husband is perfect. Starting with me. All right? Second thing. Wives, do not elbow your husband. Do not. Please do not. A man would interpret nagging and elbowing as disrespectful. And that's what he wants from you most. 
is respect. And please, for goodness sake, don't message your girlfriend. Oh, what's your hubby doing this week? My, you know, don't compare. Don't compare. I think the best thing you could do, sister, is pray. Pray. Unless, of course, we're getting into horrible territory like abuse and other things and certainly escalate the matter. Certainly do that. So, guys, not a beat up. Husbands don't elbow, I mean, wives don't elbow each other. Pray. And, and husbands, no matter what your past or no matter what models you had or didn't have, like my, I, my, my own story, I'm sure we can all grow and improve. Would that be right? Dude, I don't care how good you are, you can always do better. And don't, or maybe you had a broken situation, don't use your past as an excuse. If you're a believer now, you've got the power of the Holy Spirit, you've got God's almighty word, you're in a church family, and that's really where I saw a good father, good husband modeled was in spiritual family because I didn't really have a natural family. Well, I didn't have a natural family that offered that. Only the negative, and that's the truth, with all due respect for my late dad, Brian, Richard, Urban. So there are four responsibilities I want to focus on for a biblical husband. And, and a husband might be here and saying, what? Responsibilities? I thought it was just about financial synergy, good cooking, and plenty of sex. Legitimately. No, no, no. Hopefully you have all of that. But guess what, friend? You've got responsibilities. And in fact, if you look after those responsibilities well, all the other areas might be off the hook. Responsibilities. Yes, I know having that wedding and getting those invitations, now it's all Facebook or some event rather than old school, maybe, maybe not. And the dresses and the tables and all the, the details and the, the music and the tissues and the sniffs and, the, and, and, and all the, the, the ministers there and the music and all oh, the children look so sweet. And we go on honeymoon, and we think that's it. And it seems to me, having now done 25-plus weddings, that, uh, uh, how do I say this? The intentionality into spiritual headship is really missing. The follow-through beyond the vow and saying all the right things on the day, the realities of grind, of jobs, Property, attention to your girl, your lady. is so often lacking. It's almost like the wedding's the pinnacle and then it's downhill from there. But friend, I want to tell you, it should be the beginning of not just harmony, but spiritual vibrancy. And a home that's being formed beyond our upbringing, formed increasingly, month by month, year by year, more into what God had ordained. A true biblical marriage. We're going to go to a classic scripture in Ephesians 5, and we went there last week, and I believe we're going there next week. Because, by the way, girls, next week it's biblical wife. So just be careful how you respond today. Because my girl's going to get you. Now, we're going to go Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 to 29 as our main text. And what you probably don't realize today is what Paul says is a dramatic disruption to the culture. 
What Paul says to the church there in this very liberal city called Ephesus, where in, in this ancient world, husbands really had few obligations beyond providing food and shelter. Wives were obligated for all domestic chores and, what, and whatever their husbands wanted. They were very much chattels in the home for pleasure and task. And now Paul drops in the scripture this direct confrontation to self-interest. And he raises the bar and he says, you need, you must attend to the welfare, the well-being of your wife. Very big cultural schism going on in this text. We thank Paul for that. You can thank Jesus, by the way, girls, for elevating the status of woman as a matter of fact. Every feminist should be excited about Jesus. Because he gave women dignity and nobility, not to mention children and a thousand other things. Paul is standing on the shoulders of Jesus himself and saying, love your wives as Christ loved the church. This was an affront to the culture of the time. Why don't we stand to our feet as I try to move forward into this text. I want to read out of the New Living Translation. and Can I just make, as I go through the text... Just note, I find the most challenging word in the scripture is almost the smallest word, as. As. It couples our role with what Christ has done, and it's scary when you look at what he has done, how he laid down his life for the church. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so will wives, so your, you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her and made her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it. Just as Christ cares for the church. This is the word of the Lord. And Before I pray, I think we all understand that when we talk about the submission thing, we're not talking about value being lesser or greater. We're talking about Different roles. God sought it necessary to bring order into the home. I mean, imagine any organization with two heads. You'd call it a monster. Someone has to lead and oversee and be in charge. But both are equally valuable. Thank you for your word, Lord. We honor you and praise you. May explode, enlighten, convict, and encourage us all in your beautiful name. Amen. Take a seat. Fantastic, but don't take it anywhere, okay? Just leave it right 
there. The first responsibilities, and we're going to move through this pretty quickly, and I want to go in order of the text. The first responsibility is to be the head. Verse 23 says, for the husband is the head of the wife. Now, here's a pretty cool thing. Do you know what the word husband means? The, hus- the word husband comes from two words. Actually, it goes back to Norse language, Viking language. It, it is house bond. House bond. It's the husband who is like the glue that holds the house together. House bond. He, he's the bond. He's the the, the wraparound. He is responsible to be that glue to make sure that things are in order and, and there's peace and that he's taking care of everyone in the home, and starting with his wife and then children that come from that if God wishes and blesses. So the husband is the leader, but it's a self-giving leadership, not a self-imposing leadership. And I think it's helpful to think about the natural head. I think if you think about that thing on top of your shoulders, which weighs, I think, around 5 kgs, which is why your head starts tipping around 9.30 at night. And if you're anything like me, you start slouching on the couch even more or buy yourself a lazy boy with an arm and lift those legs up. But it's 5 kgs, guys. I mean, just work on those brains. Keep pumping the muscle. I don't know. It's great. But look at the natural head. I think it's helpful. It says the head receives input from the whole body. That's great. Doesn't mean you arbitrarily just make your own decisions and everyone fall into line. It means you consult, you talk, you consider. You get input from the whole body. That's what happens in this thing on top of our shoulders. Also, we make decisions with our head. We initiate action. We give ongoing direction. There is no biblical validity for passivity as a husband. I re- can I just say this? And I, mm, I may be treading on cultural things, but I'm going to say it. Husbands, don't call your wives mummy or mum. Stop it. You're a husband. You have a mummy. She has a mummy. I think somehow, sometimes it's not just affection, it's somehow a mechanism to be passive in our leadership and let the lady lead. And that's not biblical from what I can see in Scripture. I may get in trouble for that, but I've said it. And that's what I believe. And I think words are important. 1 Corinthians 11.3 says, The head of every man is Christ, and the head of every woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. I'm going to move on, but the first responsibilities for a husband is to be the head. Number two. Second responsibility is to love. Everybody say love with the most romantic voice. Pretend you're Italian. Love. Verse 25, for husbands, this means love your wives, right? Which is interesting because he just said to wives to submit to your husbands, you would think the opposite to submit would be rule. But he doesn't say rule. He says love your husbands. It's a specific kind of love. If you click, 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 deep dive into the word, it's not eros love, like sexual expression. It's not filial love. 
like friendship, it's agape love. It's back to that self-giving. It's prioritizing, preferring. It's serving. It's leading through serving. That's what Christ did. It's what pastors are supposed to do. It's what husbands do in the home. There's an order to this thing called life, even though the culture wants to untangle the whole thing and do what's right in their own eyes. So how do we love our wife? Good question. If I just send her flowers every Friday, is that enough? I think you missed the point, dude. Although that would be a good start. I think I would say this. Find out her love language and speak it. Are we familiar with the Five Love Languages book? This is great. What is it? Words of affirmation, gifts, quality time, acts of service, and... Sorry? All the girls know and the, know and the guys are going, what? <laughs> I know, guys. And just when you think, like my girl, just when you think you've got it down, like, okay, that's how she talks. Talks. And then she changes on you. Maybe it's after a baby or something. I don't know, but the hormones pump. Things happen. Oh, it's now acts of service. Guess who's making the bed? Find out a love language. And try and speak it. Care for her. This is one, honestly, that I don't do well at, and that's cherish. At times, ministry and life has a way of diminishing the sweet moments, the spontaneity, the words that are, the little gifts, just the sweetness, cherishing her. I believe every biblical husband should cherish his wife, to compliment her, to honor her. Theologian C.L. Mitten, he says this, this love we talk about, this agape stuff, means that one is eager to understand what the needs and interests of the other are and will do everything in his power to supply those needs and further those interests. Colossians 3.19, husbands, love your wives. And do not be bitter towards them, or her, I should say. We've only got one wife here, right? That's good. First responsibility is to be the head. Second responsibility? No, no, come on now. You've got to get that Italian thing working. Second responsibility is to? You've got to go down. Love. Put on your Antonio Banderas. Azzaro. Yeah. Oh, love. Try it this afternoon. It might work, guys. <laughs> yeah, Spanish. Sorry, not Italian. My apologies to all the Italians in the world, all Spanish. I've just I've sitting everybody today. That's okay. It comes with the big jobs. Number three responsibility to provide. <laughs> the first husband, Adam. It says in Genesis chapter 2, what a God did, he gave him a job. He said then, in verse 15, he says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. This is a, it's work. It's a four-letter word that's not a swear word, I promise. It's called work. It's not part of the fall. It was before the fall. Work. 
attend to and keep the garden. Our job is to provide in 1 Timothy 4. Good old Apostle Paul ratchets it up again. Here he goes. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those in his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. My goodness. Boys are cared for their mothers. Men provide for themselves, but mature men provide for their family. Dreams don't pay the bills. Diligent work pays the bills. Can I get an amen from someone? They don't pay the bills. Get a real job. Question, Richard. What about if my wife works and I'm a student? Great question. You're still responsible as the head of the home. This is not to suggest that a man should earn more than his wife at all. That's not mentioned. It's not implied in the text. Your wife may have other qualifications, an entirely different field and career. It's not about how much whoever earns how much. It's about who's responsible to provide for the home. And sometimes we are directly doing that. Other times we are delegated that. So if you're a student and your wife works, no problem, but you're still you shouldn't allow the burden of provision to rest on the shoulders of your wife. That's what I'm trying to say. If you're unemployed, genuinely unemployed, then by all means get support, apply to the government, find out what options are available to you that's there for temporary or maybe if it's a disability situation permanently. Find out what you're entitled to, go for it, and, 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 and get a job if you can, but you're still responsible. And if it's not a genuine situation, I'm going to be like the Apostle Paul today. Grow up and get a job. If you're working the system and neglecting and you, you're totally capable to earn a living, and you should, your job is to get a job, right? That's our job, to get a job if we're unemployed. But if we're deliberately working it and, and leaning on other taxpayers, that's wrong. It's unbiblical. You need to get up out of bed and find yourself a job. And I happen to believe, and I've seen plenty of examples, when someone wants to find a job, they'll find a job. There's plenty of work. I haven't even talked about pay right now. In fact, there's a psalm somewhere. Again, not in my notes. It says, if you don't work, don't eat. I'm inclined to think that some of our socialist uh, arrangements in New Zealand encourages laziness, as a matter of fact. I appreciate there are some countries, even in the room today, that say, if you don't work, you literally don't eat. I think we could do with a little bit of that, frankly. Don't go down that path, Richard. There are four responsibilities of a biblical husband. Number one, to be the head. Number two, to love. Number three, to provide. And before I move on to the fourth, can I just say to the men, the husbands in this room who faithfully work and labor and serve your family, well done. And I mean that. Well done. Good on you, brother. Seriously. Side note, wives. Men really appreciate it when you compliment them. Genuinely. Thank them for their work. Thank them for their hard efforts. Stop complaining. 
Begin to thank them for the positive. Pray for the negative and see them transform. Is that fair enough? Thank you for the men that work faithfully and hard. I honor you today. Be the head. Love her. Provide. Are we doing good single girls? Are these good markers? Are these good evaluations? Single guys that want to get married, are these good things to aim for? Totally. Number four, wash your wife with the word of God. That's what Paul says. It says in verse 26, he, referring to Jesus, gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. What the heck does this mean? Do you grab your Bible and start rubbing her? all over her body, get your big old, you know, your, your grandma's big old Bible and start rubbing that forehead and start washing the brains and washing. I mean, what does that mean? Do you get like your own purpose-built pulpit from tra- Trade Me and you put it in there on the lounge and as soon as she walks out, you point the finger at the pulpit and you preach, repent, woman of God. Make me some dessert. What does that mean? What's Paul talking about? Washing your wife with the word. It doesn't mean preaching at her. It doesn't mean rubbing her body with the Bible. Although I do wonder what that would do. Because I think brainwashing is a really cool idea. People go, oh yeah, Christians went to brainwashing. My brains needed washing. Greed, pride, lust. Our brains need washing. Oh, yeah, Christians, you've got a crutch. Yeah, I'm a broken man. <laughs> it's funny anyway. I digress. I digress. Why am I talking like this? I've got no idea. Come on, Wilma. Okay, all right. Some British soap going on right now. What does it mean to wash your wife with the word of God? Well, I think it means praying for her regularly. I think it means encouraging her and leading her based on the word of God. But I believe it's saying a lot wider things. I think it's saying that we as husbands should uphold and honor the standards of the word of God in the home. And I'm going to keep stretching. I think it even means bigger than that. In fact, I've come up with a new title, Pastor Weong. Are you ready for this? I think every husband is a CWO. You've heard about a CEO, a CFO, a COO. There's a new one for you. You're the chief word officer. I love it. Yep. You pray and yep. If you want to do a devotional together, fantastic. But I want to charge every husband in this place today. You are in charge of all words that are said in the home. Words that come through the TV, words that come through devices, words that conversations that happen, words from children. You are in charge of words from children's reading books. You're in charge of all words, words that are sung. Not any kind of music should be playing in the home. Not any kind of program should be watched by children. Not any kind of thing can happen in the home. Gentlemen, you are the chief word officer. Which is why I want to say to every husband, this also includes, in my humble opinion, 
The preaching of the word on Sunday. The worship of word and song on Sunday. Husbands, I believe it's your duty, if it's legal and you're able and you're well, to get your family here at church on time. I believe it's your responsibility. And I went there without apology. Do not let children decide if they go to church. Do not let your wife make the ultimate decision about going to church on Sunday or connect group during the week. By all means, account for that. See how things are happening. But I, you've always, in my view, I'm going to put it this way to you as a rule of thumb, you've got to have a good reason not to be at church on Sunday as a Christian husband, in my opinion. And I think there are some definitely legitimate reasons for that. Working on a Sunday, there's online, you can drop the family off, you can pick them up, you can arrange transport. We just seem to always take the easy road when it comes to being in corporate gatherings. When all the stars line up, then we'll be there. No, no, no. Sir, you are in charge of the word of God in your home. Not just the Bible. If something's coming over that television that's blasphemous and unclean, deal with it. Don't get excited. I should be on the chair. Richard, there's a thing called a remote control. You can turn it off. You can change channel. You can mute it. You have control, sir. You know as well as I do, if some dude rocked up to your front door and started talking to you like that person on the TV, you'd shut them down, right? At least you're better. If you're a man of God, you'll shut them down. Stop being passive. Get up front and deal with the person at the front door. You understand what I'm trying to say as a metaphor? The words that go on in the home, criticisms, undermining, arguing and shouting, deal with it. Cry out to God for wisdom. Get your word. Call up your connect group leader. Do something. It's your job. Don't, don't uh, what's the right word? Delegate that and leave it all hanging in the atmosphere for your wife to deal with. You become passive and withdrawn. That's not biblical. Words create atmosphere. Words build atmosphere. Words create world. Somebody put that up this week. Words create words. Put some worship on. Spontaneously gather the family to pray. Or just get your wife and pray. You're in charge. When you made that vow, you promised this is what it looks like practically. Thank you for all the hard work and service at your workplace. We're talking the home right now. I believe that's what washing of the word means. Washing is all-encompassing. But you, you, what does it say? One guy here, W.R. Lucci, says, if a man is to wash his wife and his family with the word, he certainly needs to be filled with the word. You can't wash if you don't have any water. And I think it's even more serious than this. I mean, I'm getting pretty excited up here, and I'm probably upsetting a few people, and that's okay, I'll deal with that. But can you remember the parable of the sower? Jesus talked about the sowing of the word of God and the first, the farmer threw out seed on the first side and the wayside and it says that a bird immediately came down and Jesus even explained it. It's Satan who came to steal the word. Jesus spoke of a spiritual battle and he confirmed the focus of the enemy's efforts. The very epicenter of the battle is the word of God in the home. And a person's ability to understand it and believe it. It's the basis of faith. Husbands, 
I hope my enthusiasm and my passion does not come across as that beat up I was trying to avoid, but simply this, that we might all renew our commitment to the word of God. Not some religious duty, I have to, but rather crying out to God, I want to. I want my children to grow up in a certain atmosphere. I want my wife to grow up in this atmosphere, this environment where we have courageous conversations. There are standards in our homes. I'm shocked sometimes at the lack of standards amongst Christians. We're called to be a holy people. Our homes should be temples. We are the priests, gentlemen. And I believe with the fear of God, that I too will have to stand and give account for my own home. Serious thing. But we need to make a change. And as you wash her with the word, as you are the head, you love and provide her, she will blossom. And that's not it. Wait, there's steak knives that come with it too. Call 0800 23 23 23. Two more benefits. This will provide a powerful example for children. Maybe you, like I, had a tragic or difficult and dysfunctional upbringing in many, certainly regarding marriage. But you can draw a line in the sand and say, not for me. I'm grateful for the good. I'm leaving the bad. I have the power of the Holy Spirit. I've got a vision for a different kind of home. So you can provide a powerful example for your children, but also provide an attraction to the gospel. I love this quote that Pastor Young used last week from Pastor Lisa Chan. She says, marriage is a one expression in all of human relationships that God wants to be a picture of Christ and the church. That's a pretty high calling. Does our marriage make God look good? Does our marriage attract people to the gospel in the way that we live our lives, in the way we interact? Can I have some music, please, as I land this plane? Husbands, this seems really hard, doesn't it? It's pretty tall stuff to be compared to Christ's love of the church seems really difficult and to, let's be honest it is and honestly I have fallen woefully short many times and that's why God didn't leave us without help in our text this morning is a signpost it's a signpost to someone it says in verse 22, For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of the wife as Christ. It's echoed again in verse 25. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ. You see, both the wife and the husband's role is Christologically grounded. That is to say, it's grounded in the theology of Christ. We can't do this. We can't do this well. It's one thing to get married. It's an entirely another thing to be a biblical husband. Both roles in the text are, are grounded. They're Christologically is the right word, grounded. The, the key, the key 
is to have a genuine, surrendered, and spirit-sustained relationship with Jesus. And without it, we won't be a biblical husband. This is how it works. If we can put up the next slide. As we focus on Christ, the hub is Christ, the, the center is Christ. As we move towards Christ, we get closer with our wives. And she too is looking to Christ, and we're going to talk about that next week. But our focus, gentlemen, is Christ. And I want to close with a prayer. And I'm going to pray it. And I want just the men to pray it, or the husbands to pray it, in your own heart. I won't invite you to pray out loud with me, because I don't want anyone in this room, far be it from me, to cause anyone in any way to be exposed. But I've written a prayer for me and for us. And it gives words to what I'm saying today. Let me pray. Dear Lord, I understand the responsibilities of a husband and feel convicted. Please forgive me for not being the husband I should have been. I want to be a better biblical husband and care for your daughter and gift to me. I accept this privilege and responsibility. Please grant me your grace to be a faithful husband and be the spiritual head of my home. I accept the charge of being the chief word officer in my home. Give me an insatiable hunger for your word. Give me grace, gentleness, and boldness to protect and preserve a godly home. Jesus, you are my covering, my Lord, and my King. I want to truly follow you for all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us. To know more about Every Nation Auckland City, you can visit our website, www.everynationauckland.city. For more messages like this, you can subscribe to this podcast through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you listen to podcasts.